You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson, live from Parts Unknown. We're here in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for football season, that's right, as Kyle's name says on YouTube, 89 days till kickoff. If you need to gear up for Texas Tech football season, you can go to Cardinals, mycardinalsports.com, or if you need a gift for your father on Father's Day, Dad's Day is coming up. You can get him a hat from the vault at Cardinals. He'll love it. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm good. Nice segue there. The uh, Dave Campbell's cover art was released today, and it was Sonny Dykes and kind of, um, I think, a tribute to when his dad graced the cover of the magazine. And so we're, of course, always honored to be affiliated with Dave Campbell's Texas football, but that magazine drop is always a big deal every summer. And I guess today more than ever with baseball season ending kind of signifies the beginning of the look ahead to football season. And we will be looking ahead to football season later on in the week. Today we'll recap the baseball season. Uh, broad thoughts. I thought this year was a good year for what you have on the roster, but I have felt for about three months now, it was a warm up year for next season. I think this roster was young, inexperienced at points and the pitching with two or three freshmen and sophomores really leading the way for at the end. Uh, really sets you up much better for next year in the postseason. Now, is that a little frustrating at times? Yes, it was this season, but I am very excited for the future of this program in the the near future. Yeah, obviously it doesn't work this way, but I think probably your biggest issue this season was like you could not string together a full weekend of good starting pitching. And there were defensive issues, there were bullpen issues, all that. Um, but just going back to the beginning of the year, um, K-Rob struggles in his first start, and then you go to Girton in that Friday spot. Molina moves from Saturday to Friday in the middle of the season. Trendon Parrish solidifies himself as a Saturday guy, then he gets hurt before the postseason. Bo Blessy was your Sunday guy. He gets hurt and never was able to come back the same as his first start. And so it, baseball doesn't work this way. But with the one, two, three punch that you rolled out in Gainesville this weekend had been able to solidify themselves six or eight weeks ago and pitched that well, or even close to it, because I think combined they went like 16 innings of one run, two run baseball. Um, you're right. It, it gets you excited for next year and nobody wanted the season to end today. But uh, man, you can't help but think, OK, if all three come back, which, you know, in today's portal era you I guess never say never but man it seems like you've got a really good starting pitching rotation for the weekend next year if those guys come back and you wish you could have seen that more consistently earlier this season yeah I'm kind of holding my breath on the baseball roster but as it's constructed I'm very excited about it um, I do want to say a quick uh, thank you to a couple of players uh, Ty Coleman uh, will be leaving has exhausted his eligibility uh, Zach Vulicic will be leaving. He's exhausted his eligibility, I think. Uh, and then Brandon Beckel, I doubt, will return after his dynamic season. And Ethan Coombs. But I don't think there's anyone else that played a lot that is going to be gone. Obviously, well, Nolan Hester. Nolan Hester would be the other one. Um, I think everyone else has the opportunity to come back if they want including Austin Green. See, I, I wasn't sure on Austin Green. Um, we're very close to the end of this COVID year dilemma that has made tracking um, college eligibility so difficult the past few years. He might have another year. I'm not, I'm not saying he doesn't, but 
uh, yeah, you should like you and I in the discord, which you can join patreon.com slash gambling gauchos kind of talking through potential day one lineups and you could very, very well um, start like every position in the field and DH without relying on any freshman or like anybody that wasn't used some amount this year. Like, um, yeah, I think there'll be, let's see here. Hopefully Owen Washburn comes back from injury. And so him and Harrelson would be kind of two staples in the outfield. If Dylan Carter comes back, you know, I think there, there might be some position battles and everything. You might sort of upgrade your roster at different spots, but you know, this year you had to, I say had to like Gage Harrelson is a good player, but he's a true freshman and you're relying on him. Kevin Bazell is a redshirt freshman. You're relying on him. Um, Tracer Lopez, little known fact, he should still be in high school and he's your starting shortstop most of the season. And so just looking at the roster next year, unless there's a really talented freshman that earns their way in, I don't think you're going to look around and go, okay, we've got three or four lineup staples that are in their first year of college baseball um, like you dealt with this season. Yeah, and you also have Will Burns, who will be participating in football um, in the fall uh, at quarterback. So I don't know how he'll go if he'll play some baseball in the fall as well. If if he's if he works his way up the roster and is the third quarterback, then maybe he won't. Um, I doubt that's the case with Jake Strong in the mix and uh, a couple of these guys that are in there, but who knows? He might be able to play some baseball in the fall as well. You'd certainly like him to focus on a sport. Uh, but if you're good enough to play two sports in college, then go for it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, you could list a roster today of everyone that's here and you could come up with a dy- dynamic team for next year. If this pitching is what it was this weekend, because that was your whole issue. This lineup top to bottom without Nolan Hester is still a top 15 lineup. And if you have top 15 pitching with the top 15 lineup, you're a top 10 team because a lot of teams can't do that. Yeah. I mean, the bats definitely went dead. Uh, the latter part of this Gainesville regional uh, never really popped uh, even through four games, going back to game one against UConn. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I think that, it's sometimes just a, a fluky deal. You're playing in a visiting ballpark, and you're also playing against really good pitching. Like, I don't want to minimize, you know, you played some teams like Baylor, whoever, you're like, okay, yeah, the bats didn't show up. Florida has, like, dude after dude after dude starting bullpen, and so you have to give them some credit. Like, your bats didn't just magically go away. Like, that has a lot to do with them having MLB draft picks on the, on the rubber, like, every single at-bat. So... Uh, I'm not worried about the lineup. I mean, that's like never an issue with the Tadlock coach team. It's shoring up the pitching. And, yeah, had you had pitching like you had in the Gainesville Regional, uh, you probably would have been in the mix to win the Big 12 title, and that would have probably led you to host or be a two-seed and and avoid such a difficult regional. But, you know, that's not how it works. But, yeah, I I think it's a good sign, though. Um, I think Molina was the only guy of the three that, had kind of previously established himself and maybe not consistently all year, but like we knew he had that in him, but Kyle Robinson really until Arlington as a starter, didn't show that that he put out, he finished this season with two really good starts. Zane Petty, talented freshman. Uh, we always knew he had the stuff and he kind of put it together at the end of the season. So, um, you know, that's that's a big gripe among Texas Tech baseball fans, the lack of pitching development, the lack of progress year over year and also within the same season. But I think at least at the very tail end of the season, those three guys, um, they were noticeably better than they were mid-season or early season. And so that, I think, you know, has to count for something. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I don't think there will be any coaching changes. Um that has been a topic of conversation over the last week and a half on Twitter. Uh, reality does not live on Twitter, so I don't think there will be any. This is a coaching staff that has been together and I think will be together. Um, and again, you look at those guys down the stretch who really improved, and a couple of those were freshmen. Now, again, we keep talking about next year like everyone's coming back. You've already had two enter the transfer portal, including Jarrett Curtis, the freshman center fielder. 
uh, who just did not get on the field much as the kind of the third or fourth option in center field. Um, so yeah, you're going to have some movement, but if you could focus your offseason on some bullpen, um, I think Texas Tech's the top five team next year. They've got potential to be really good. I mean, I, I think the mark of a good team is, uh, or at least one mark of a good team of a college baseball team is if you have a guy who throws on Tuesday who could start on Saturday for like a different team and be their ace, then you're a really good team. I feel like your Omaha teams, like they had three, four legit starters. And I think it's shaping up where you could be that good. Cause like, let's say you just stick with the three guys who started games one, two, three of the Gainesville regional. Um, if Curtis Parrish, Curtis Parrish, judge Parrish. Yeah. Um, if Trendon Parrish is healthy next season, like he was your Saturday Saturday guy for most of conference play. If he's your Tuesday guy next year, or if Jacob Rogers pitches as well as he did the first four or five innings of today's ball game, like you're cooking with some serious gas if your midweek guy is like if we use Jacob Rogers as an example, a guy who can just pound the zone mid nineties, if that's your midweek guy, you probably have a really good pitching staff. And then so some other guys that aren't good enough to be in the starting rotation all weekend, coming out of the bullpen, pitching midweek. That's where I feel like you can have some depth, but you can't have pitching depth if your three starters on the weekend aren't any good. And that was what you consistently, I think, missed out on and why you weren't able to complete Big 12 sweeps and why you weren't able to really make any noise in the conference title race. When you also have Tabor Fast, who has been one of those guys, and if Trenton Parrish makes a move back to the bullpen or Tabor Fast makes a move to the bullpen and plays on the field a little bit more, He's a two-way threat if Damian Bravo improves uh, and is the closer. I mean, you have a bunch of guys out there, and that's the point. You, you had a bunch of guys this year that just were almost there at times, and they finally showed up at the end. Um, there was a, a few baffling things in this regional. Um, there was a conversation of uh, Tim Tadlock trying to lose to, to extend the season so he could pitch Brandon Beckel on rest. Um, Brandon Beckel pitched on rest today, and if he would have come in the day before, it would have been the same story. Or a worse story or a better story, who knows, because that's how baseball is. As Ron Washington would say, that's how baseball go. Um, the second guessing when you when you don't have a guy to throw, it's like, well, they didn't throw a high leverage guy, so he was trying to lose and, and be good the next day. Then why start Zane Petty? Why start your best option? Oh, well, he did it when he when there was issues. He was one to nothing. Or or one to one, whatever it was. Yeah, it was one nothing at that point. And then I feel like uh so it was Jason Lopez who came in first, right? Yes. And more or less it worked. Like we had a ground ball in the infield to get out number three in that inning. It, it's not the pitcher's fault that the third baseman sailed it and it extended that inning. And so the, the defensive issues, I kind of try to separate defense from pitching because if your pitchers are getting infield ground balls and you're committing errors or, um, you know, stuff like that, that's not really all on the pitching. So, yeah, I, I don't – that seems to be a common trend among teams that start 2-0. They get convinced that their manager is – for some reason, trying to throw the the closeout game. Um, I think it's stupid, but I've seen a crap ton of stupid tweets about Tim Tadlock and Texas Tech baseball on Twitter the last couple of days, and so it's, in that sense, not really surprising. No, and it's, I think it's baseball in general. Uh, I think baseball fan, college sports fans have a hard time with baseball because baseball is so different than any other sport, especially in the postseason in the sense where you can lose twice. I mean, there's no other sport in college, major sport, where you can lose twice. And so people think they are cognizant of that and are playing with the I, – I don't know. I don't even get it because that's that's not how my brain works with baseball. Uh, but you were alive for another day and it didn't work either. So Florida was just better than you at the end. Yeah, and that's what all the pitching debates – like we can have them in theory. And at least I'm going to give us a little bit of credit here. We had an in-depth pitching debate before the regional. 
it's so easy to go on Twitter after like a guy comes in out of the bullpen and he gives up a bomb and you go, Oh, well, why would you play that guy? It's like, well, unless you were saying that like while he was jogging out, like everybody's a genius after the fact. You say, okay, yeah, you don't throw that pitch there. You don't bring him in in that spot. But all the pitching debate is useless when you score one run in two games against Florida. Like you can have prime Roger Clemens and Randy Johnson on the bump for Tech, and you're not going to win those games. Yeah. So, like, let's – it's a fun, I guess, theoretical discussion to have. But with the bats the way they were those last two games against Florida, just I, – I don't see the – point in harping on pitching decisions when you weren't going to win the game regardless. To be fair, if we had gone back to our original plan and pitched Zane Petty against UConn, I think we beat UConn with how electric Zane Petty was against Florida. And then if you go Mason Molina K-Rob in the next two games, it could be different. But again... I want to talk about that. There's no point in theorizing because... if you bring in Brandon Beckel yesterday as people wanted to because he's your leverage guy, well, he gave up a shot today. So maybe he gives up a home run before you even get that fluke uh, two outs at home. Well, and even with the benefit of hindsight, pitching Brandon Beckel when you're losing, in my opinion, is not a good use of his arm. Like, Right. It, it's kind of like why you don't send – the base runner home rounding third when there's zero outs in an inning, or especially like late in the game, if you if you need multiple runs, you're going to need more base hits anyway. So it's like if we get some run support and this game is tied even and we're going to go to extras, sure, pitch Beckel. But until you get run support, why would you use up that arm? And to me, that is not a – that's not Tim Tadlock saying, well, I'm just going to try to throw this game and then we'll go to the next one. That's just kind of common sense in my opinion. So on our pitching theory, how we would approach the regional, I see it three ways. First, I feel partly vindicated. Second, I see the other side of the argument. And third, none of it matters. So after game one, actually mixed opinions on this, on Twitter and in the Discord. Game one, Molina throws a brilliant game. You win a low-scoring 3-2 to two contest. I saw some people say, Wow, it would have been nice to have that performance from Molina against Florida, which I think is a valid sentiment. And I saw others, and I went back and forth with Tech Hoops guy for like way too long on this. He was like, well, what if it was two to one or one to zero? Then would you admit that it was right to pitch Molina? And I'm like, well, yes and no, because if it was one to zero, that means Molina threw a complete game shutout practically. And again, you really want that against the best team in this regional. But as the days went on, like Molina gives you six scoreless, and then K-Rob playing the better team gives you six innings, I think, of one-run ball, and then Petty gives you five innings of one-run ball. Or Did they score the sixth? I don't know if he was responsible for the well, – I don't think so. I think he was scoreless. Either way, let, let's say, for the sake of argument, all three starting pitchers gave you very comparable, very good performances. I think it's likely you would have gone 2-0, and no matter which order you started them in, as well as they all pitched. And so that's where I'm like, I don't think I was a dumbass for saying Zane Petty should have pitched game one. I think it probably could have made the regional unfold very similarly to how it did. Yeah. But I also see the value of going 2-0 and and with as little margin of errors you had against UConn, see the value of pitching Molina. But there were some, there were some haters and losers trying to dunk on me after game one and game two. And I was like, well, like let's see how the weekend goes. And then we get Zane Petty's performance. I was like, yeah, no, we would have beaten UConn with Zane Petty. And then you could have had K. Robin Molina against the best team in this regional where you really needed them. But again, as well as Petty pitched against Florida, it's not a legitimate gripe. So I'm calling it a draw between me and the haters and losers. I think it all sort of evened itself out. That's fair. Uh, Hyatt says you can lose four times in the postseason and win the College World Series. Uh, yes. Once in a regional, once in a super, twice in the – College World Series, and then you can still get there. I'm going to one-up them a little bit. You can lose six times in the postseason because you can go two and Q in the Big 12 tournament and still host a regional and a super regional. There you go. But, By the way, we mentioned uh, going 2-0 and and then fans freaking out a little bit. TCU fans were doing that a little bit this afternoon. Have you seen a score update? 
Uh, they just hit bomb after bomb. They're killing them, right? Yeah, TC is winning eleven to four. Last I checked. Jeez, they're. I tweeted this, but they're last year's OU team. Yeah, I think so. Crazy. And you know what? This hurts to say. I'm gonna have to brush my teeth, but uh, good for them. Good for the Big Twelve, honestly. Yeah. I think that's I think that's good for the Big Twelve to have some exposure. Uh, I hate that it's going to be TCU, especially after they already had the exposure in football as well. Uh, had some exposure in basketball. They've been good at everything this year. It seems like. Uh, but you know what? Kudos to TCU for doing that. Yeah, I mean, apparently I'm not final too. Not trying to um, spike the football on Oklahoma State, but. To host a regional, go zero and two. You know, my my final thoughts two episodes ago was that we really needed West Virginia to kind of use the momentum of this season and take baseball seriously because we need more than two or three teams at the top of the conference that take this sport seriously. Uh, West Virginia did win one game, but uh, was ultimately bounced from the Lexington regional. So yeah, in the new Big Twelve, when you lose Texas, who's kind of like the premier baseball blue blood, um, you're going to need other conference teams. Hopefully, Texas Tech as well, but. Continuing to have postseason success against mostly the SEC since they're like the primary baseball conference. Um, so, yeah, a Big 12 team going into Fayetteville, a really good team, and winning that regional in the fashion that they did um, is is good for the conference. And you can hate something. You can hate TCU. And also it's factually good for the conference. Like I saw Tech fans doing that when they were in the playoff. They're like, well, I thought you said it was good for the Big 12. It is good for the Big 12. And it's terrible for you as a TCU hater, but it is good for the Big 12. So, like, you might not be happy about it, but that's that's facts. We had a question earlier that I didn't ask. Um, is Will Burns a threat to Tyler Shuck? <laughs> uh, can Will Burns tote the rock? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Because we saw Tyler Shuck get, what, 23 carries against Ole Miss? Something like that. <laughs> Oh, man. Speaking of toting the rock, uh, if you're going to carry the ball for your father on Father's Day, where would you uh, where would you take him for <laughs> You know, we had a way better segue opportunity earlier when I mentioned 2 and Q in the Big 12 tournament. You could have made of that. Barbecue, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I know where your mind is at, though. And, uh, yeah, if you're looking to – Here's a baseball uh, pun. If you're looking to knock it out of the park on Father's Day, grab some Rahino barbecue out in Olton, or maybe they've got the mobile food truck going around next weekend. Open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. RahinoBBQ.com. Order ahead because the lines are long and you want to make sure your food is there when you arrive. Give them a follow on social at RahinoBBQ. New menu items dropping all the time. They've got lunch specials, all kinds of good stuff. And it, it's heating up, but they've got a nice covered patio with some fans and everything out in Alton, so don't let the heat scare you away. That final with TCU 12-4, to they're the final Big 12 team, uh, new Big 12 team? Yeah. Texas. Did Texas win? Yeah. Texas is waiting on, I think, A&M's result against Stanford. That'd be a fun super regional. Yes, it would. That game uh, late tonight. And those are the only two Big 12 teams, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. Wow. Um, Are we done talking about the Gainesville Regional? Yes, I think so. I think we can move on. Can I share my cool story, bra? And then... Yes, please. So, if you couldn't tell from my YouTube backdrop, I'm in a hotel in Madison, Wisconsin... And so I, I flew from DFW up here. It's about a about a two-hour flight, I think. And, yeah, I guess I missed – yeah, I missed first pitch. Um, and so I landed maybe about an hour and a half uh, after the game started. And I, I cheat on airplanes. This might be a crime. I don't know if I should admit this. But when you're up in the air and they tell you to have your phone on airplane mode, as you're approaching the ground, you can get – really bad service but some service like well before you land 
And so when I can start to kind of like make out some buildings and stuff, I take it off airplane mode and try to like check Twitter or something. Um, don't have enough of a signal to stream the game on my Hulu app. So I was like, well, let me just go to Twitter and see if I can like get a score update. And the first clip I see on Twitter is Nolan Hester making that catch up against the wall. Uh, we throw out Caglione for the double play. I was like, sweet. Like, looks like we got out of the jam there. Great play. And then I pull up Hulu and all I get is a freeze frame. Like it's, it's locked. I uh, can't stream the game, but it did give me one still frame of the game. And it's Austin Green rounding second, showing that to the bullpen. And I was like, okay, we just hit a ding dong. I don't know if it's a grand slam. I don't know if it's a solo shot. I still don't know what the score is, but it looks like two highlight plays just happened. So I finally land in this like two to one, I learn. And Uber to the hotel, it's like the seventh inning. And so like every single pitch at this point is high pressure. And I was like, I'm not checking in right now. I don't want them asking me like for a credit card for the incidentals and tell me where the elevator is. Like I need to watch the end of this game. And so that's when I see like the cash two run bomb and, you know, Beckel closing it out. Harrelson's great play in center field. So I'm watching this all on the bench outside of the hotel lobby and probably look like a lunatic because I'm like fist bumping and getting pissed off when they ring up Baz on two horrible strike three calls but we won the game it was like a fun I know we didn't win the regional but beating that good of a Florida team uh, it was a cool memory I'll remember where I was during game two and would have loved to just you know watch the game like normal and, and see every pitch but the moments that I did catch were, were still really cool and so Wish we could have finished them off, but um, game two was was quite a ride. It was, and it was a really, really fun one. And I, I'm glad you didn't, uh, you know, go one and two. I'm glad you got a victory there and went two two, uh, even though it kind of hurt worse uh, getting to Monday and not not putting a good game together. Yeah, I I will say if, if we're done talking about the regional and we're going to take more of a thirty thousand foot view of the of the programmer of the season. I, I kind of alluded to this, but I just see some like really stupid tweets about, you know, how Tim Tadlock needs to run his baseball program and all this. And I, uh, it's, it's almost hard to even like contend with how stupid some of this commentary is. But uh, so 2013 was his first year. Let's call that a wash. Cause he's building a program. 2014 through now, that's 10 seasons, a decade. One postseason doesn't happen because of COVID, so 10 seasons, nine postseasons. You made eight of them. You missed in 2015. Uh, 2015 in that decade is uh, pretty inarguably your worst season. Your next four worst seasons, I would say, like from your final result, would be well, okay, so that one's number one. Number two is probably this season. And you still ended it in a regional final. Um, number yep. three is probably last season mm-hmm. when you lost two one-run games to a team that went to Omaha. And then the fourth would be when you hosted in 2017. You won the Big 12. I yep. thought this might have been your team that had the best chance to actually go all the way. Uh, they start 2-0 in the Lubbock Regional and then lose to Sam Houston. If if that is as bad as it gets in a decade, losing in the regional finals, um, in this instance to a really good, the number two team in the country who very well could go to Omaha, in another instance losing to a team that did go to Omaha by two runs combined, I'm okay with that. If that's, if that's your floor as a program, there, 90% of college baseball programs would cut off their right arm for that to be their best season. Like, it's hard to win a regional. And when Tadlock went to Omaha four times in seven years out of the gates, it completely screwed up any realistic expectation framework. Like, even this year, there's 16 regionals. Ten of them, the host had either minus 130 or longer odds and several were plus money to win the regional. So, like, you've got these teams that won their conference, that have a top 15 RPI, they're playing at their home ballpark, and they're still 
like less than a coin flip to get out of it. It's hard to win a regional. And that's what I want fans to like get through their brain. Yeah, you lost to Florida today. They're a really, really, really freaking good baseball team. And it is damn hard to win a regional. Just because you did it kind of with ease several years in a row there um, doesn't mean that it's easy. And that speaks to how elite the program is, how good those teams were. And I'm not saying that, like, we shouldn't aspire to better. But, again, over the last decade, this is about as bad as it's gotten. And, again, 290-ish teams in college baseball would trade places with you today, right now. Yeah. And so I, that's where I don't get the like, well, we need to take a really deep look inward at what's going wrong. I'm like, no, like zoom out a little bit. Look at the last decade. And like I'll concede if, if three years from now you still haven't won another regional or haven't won the Big 12, then say, okay, like, yeah, we plateaued, we've regressed. Maybe something needs to change. But, but that resets the decade. Yeah, yeah. And so like to just say, oh, like 2018, 2019 don't count – and you got screwed by COVID. And so, yeah, Stanford kicked your ass in a super, and then you got really close but no cigar in two regional finals. I'm just, I'm just not ready to hit the panic button yet. And it's also funny to me, these same fans, and I'm happy about last football season too, but like eight and five in football, everybody's over the moon. Like, oh, yeah, we beat Ole Miss, we beat OU. And then you're a top 10% team in college baseball. It's like, well, that's not good enough. Who are we going to fire? What changes are we going to make to make sure this never happens again? I saw if you're eight and five in 2028. True conversation. And and that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, this is all kind of relative to expectations. And that's like, if Omaha is the bar, like, yeah, we all want that. We've done it before. We can do it again. But that, that is not a healthy baseline of expectations. Right. And, and neither is four and eight in football, which is why it was so frustrating and why eight and five is so refreshing comparatively. But if even on Selection Monday, a lot of regional hosts don't even have a coin flip odds of winning their own regional, I don't think we should be like two steps ahead of that every February on opening day. We're like, well, yeah, like this year is Omaha or bus. Like that, sorry, that's just crap. That's not how it works. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but next year, Omaha bust. <laughs> yeah, having said that. <laughs> having said that, next year, I'm really high on this team. Well, it, so, really, really high. so, like, we've gone two years without a super, and everybody's ready to hit the panic button. Not, not everybody, but – and uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Florida, I think, is going to a super now for the first time since 2018. Yes. Like, that, that's an elite baseball program, right? And so, like, let's say over the last – they won a natty in 17, but, like, let's say since 2018 through this year, we'll see where their season ends up. But they're going to their second Super since 2018. You've been to Omaha twice since 2018. So, I, anyway, I'm just I, – I think baseball more than any other sport, the expectations are not aligned with reality. I, I think that Tim Tadlock and the baseball program are a victim of – how insanely successful they were exceeding any and all realistic expectations for a five or six year run there. And now people just like are losing their minds over a completely normal outcome, going to the number two team in the country's regional and losing to them is well within the realm of expectations. And so I, I don't understand some of this chatter or the like, Oh, Tim Tadlock signed this contract lifetime contract, So now he's complacent. I think that's BS. I think your last two regionals, you got really close and didn't quite get it done, which should make you cherish 2014, 2016, 2018, and 2019, and even 2021 that much more. All right, you ready for a Discord mailbag? Yes. Let's do it. Who are some honorary West Texans? Could be anyone in sports, pop culture, et cetera. I'll give this week's honorary West Texan to Dallas Braden, who was a West Texan for a couple of years. He was he was all over Texas Tech during the tournament, and that was cool to see the support. He had good perspective on Ty Coleman's last at-bat that I didn't even think of. But 
this is where it's valuable to have the input of somebody who used to play. They said, like, Ty Coleman was a fifth-year senior uh, going up to the play for what he knows is the last time. And he, even though his team is down 6-0, he doesn't go out swinging for the fences. He takes a walk. Like, he works the at-bat, works the count, takes a walk instead of getting the bat off his shoulder one last time. And so I thought that was a cool thought from Dallas Braden. And it's cool to see his tweets after the first couple wins and everything. He had an all-timer, pants down, guns up for uh, Cash's rolled-down pants that seemed to work so well in game two there. So Dallas Braden's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite novel? Favorite novel? What's yours? You don't really read a lot of novels. I read, uh, like, biographies and stuff like that, self-help books. Atomic Habits is one of my favorite books I read recently. Um, David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me was really good. I'm midway through Bob Knight's The Power of Negative Thinking right mm-hmm. now. It's pretty good. I... I'm kind of with you. I read a lot of, um, I read a lot of nonfiction. Yeah. Um, the only novel really that I've read recently was Atlas Shrugged, which is very political. It was really long. I think the audiobook dude was like 63 hours. It took me three months to, and there were parts that I hated. There were parts that I liked. But I will say I've thought about it a lot, even though I finished it two months ago. And so I guess that's the mark of a good piece of literature if it makes you think and kind of sticks with you. So I'll, I'll say that, but it's it's the only novel I've read in like years. So I, it wins by default. I will say, I like historically the Harry Potter novels, I guess. Some of my favorites. See, when I was a kid, did you ever read the uh, the baseball books? I'm trying to remember what they were called. Uh, Dan Gutman was the author. Uh-uh. And it was like, I think it was called If I Were Shoeless Joe Jackson or. Oh. But so it, it was, it was a cool, uh, the kid had like a superpower where if he had a rare baseball card, he could like transport back in time to the era of Honus Wagner, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Satchel Page, And so, I read those all the time. They were in our school library. So that was maybe part of how I became interested in like sports history. Um, but anyway, I really enjoyed those as a kid. Not, not for, well, I guess adults could read them, but it more targeted toward school age kids, I guess. Do you have AR points? I don't think so. So we had to read and then take quizzes on the books <clears throat> and then get, points and then at the end of the year if you had enough points you go to like Mr. Gaddy's or something so the Harry Potter before they got banned at school were huge points because they were big books because I went to a private school they got banned <laughs> uh, witches and witchcraft uh, right. we hammered some Louis Lamar books um, those the books with the uh, the mice that carried swords um, oh, what were those books called? Those were great. Now I'm thinking back to like junior high. Uh, Brand New World, books we read in school. The Idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky. That was a good one. Anyways. It's been like 20 years since I've read those. <laughs> I guess I read Animal Farm not too long ago. That's a good one. I like Animal Farm. Yeah, that's a good book. I think Animal Farm is funny. It's also political. Yeah. But if, I'm going to get a little bit political here for a second. If you ask anybody on like the far left or the far right or probably in between, they would tell you Animal Farm is about their political opponents. It's it's never their side. Like it's always the other side that's like doing the gaslighting and the authoritarianism. And I find that interesting. It's like, which like historically the book was written about a certain regime and a certain political philosophy but it's funny to see people all over the political spectrum like, we're living in animal farm all over again. And they're like saying it about their political opponents. And I'm like, they're saying the exact same thing about you, just just so you know that. Honus and me 
uh, Mario says was a good kids baseball book. That's what they were. Every single one was titled like Jackie and me, Satchel and me, Shoeless Joe Jackson and me. I think. I think they made that a TV show too. Yeah, there's one on uh, Roger Maris. I think there's a lot of them. Uh, football question. How good is it that all of the released game times are after 6 p.m.? I guess it depends on your thinking. So we should actually talk about this. We, Because I don't think we've recorded since the schedule release. Huh. My, my first – this is the uh, the nerd in me coming out. Everybody was looking at the Oregon time. They wanted to know, are we going to get to tailgate? Is it a night game? First thing I saw was that Wyoming was on CBS. And after doing all this conference realignment, deep dive on TV numbers – I know how important it is to play on a network like CBS versus ESPN2 or Fox uh, Fox Sports 1. And so that was actually my first. I was like, are we really on? Is that CBS main or is that CBS sports network, whatever they call it? And so that's big. You'll get, I don't know, triple the viewers you would on FS1 uh, by that game being on CBS. Um, Oregon is a night game. I definitely see the upside of that because I think the students will be more engaged. Tailgate scene should be awesome that day. I kind of wanted them at 11 or 2.30 just to make them play in the heat, yeah. um, especially 11 because they'd be on a 9 a.m. body clock. It's like make them roll out of bed into 100-degree heat, and like Joey would say, take them somewhere they don't want to go. But night game is also cool. Um Tarleton State, that being on ESPN Plus, you get to choose your kickoff time. But those are always night games. And then Thursday, TCU, that's of course always going to be at night. And then the Black Friday game, um, that one hasn't always been at night. It, it usually is, but I think so. Two years ago, when you went, it, it wasn't on Black Friday. That was when they housed you. Um, that was a big noon kickoff, and I think. Four years ago in Wells' first season, it was also an 11 a.m. On, on Black Friday. So I guess you haven't played them under the lights there in a while, and I, I think that's cool too. So, yeah, only five kickoff times announced, all five are night games. I, I think most people like those best. And then the last seven will be rolled out, you know, two weeks or a week and a half in advance. But, yeah, you you could have a ton of night games if it keeps, you know, if some of those others get slotted in the evening slot. We'll have plenty of thoughts on uh, TCU as we move along. I really wish that game was at least on a Friday instead of a Thursday. Me too. I, and we'll talk about that at a time. We don't have to talk about it today. Yeah. Uh, I love the night games. I love CBS. Uh, thoughts on the cheese at Bowl becoming the Pop-Tarts Bowl. What's your favorite Pop-Tart? Yeah, I think that our boycott must have worked after the, the cheese at Bowl snub. Um. Somebody asked, Are we, do we boycott Pop-Tarts now? I think no. I think Pop-Tarts, they're clean in all of this. They didn't have anything to do with the bowl snub. And so I, I say we wipe the slate clean and, you know, start fresh with Pop-Tarts. Um, my favorite Pop-Tart was the uh, cinnamon, cinnamon sugar. The brown cinnamon, yeah, the yeah. sugar. That's the best one. I like a, like a s'mores one every once in a while. I like the brown sugar cinnamon. I think wild berry is maybe yeah. the most popular. Yeah, um, I've never had it. When we did Big 12 teams as Pop-Tart flavors, I uh, we matched TCU with wild berry because it's purple and Kansas State with grape because it's purple. And all the K-State fans were mad that they got grape instead of wild berry. So I guess people like wild berry. Um, did you toast your pop tarts or did you just eat them room temp? No, I was just eating room temp. Yeah, same here. You're saying you like, I still eat pop tarts every once in a while. I haven't eaten pop tarts in a long time. No, it, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, you, you get a little box in there. I guess my parents still have them around with the with the nephew. Yeah, which I'm not. I'm not anti pop tart. I just I guess don't think of it when I go to the store. But yeah, maybe I should buy pop tarts. Is there an Oregon Gambling Gauchos tailgate announcement soon? Soon. There's a plan. We're, we're like Brett Yormark with expansion. There's a well-thought-out plan, and it will be good. But we, we've got to keep it holstered for now. 
start bench cut these beers after work on Friday beer, after mowing beer, grilling beer. After mowing beer, in my opinion, is undefeated. So I'll start that. I'll bench a grilling beer and cut the after work beer. I think I'm with you on that one. Uh, start bench cut swimming in a lake, swimming in the ocean, swimming in a pool. Uh, fire swimming in a lake into the ocean. If I never get into another lake, it will be too soon. Uh, if I'm on a lake, I'm in a pontoon boat. I'm with you. I, I don't like the lake. It's disgusting. The exception, if I'm like way out in the middle of the lake on a jet ski or like tubing, that's fun. But like going to the edge of the lake and like wading in from there is not for me. I, I'll start the pool, bench the ocean, cut the lake. It stinks. Yeah. I'm probably with this with you on that one too, just because uh, the sand in my crevices. Yeah. I would probably start a hot tub though. What rule, if any, would you take from softball and apply to baseball? I have no idea. No stolen bases. <laughs> Can you not steal in softball? You can't take a lead. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously. I just tip my hand there. I don't know. Uh, what the rule differences are. And so I, I'm, yeah. I'm not informed. I'm not advised. You can, uh, you can steal, but you have to stay on the bag. Is what yeah. it is. I just was thinking of rules that would help Texas tech. Yeah. And their current, uh, predicaments. That would be nice. What's the weirdest food slash drink item you've encountered while traveling? So I am not well traveled, you know. I've uh, like I haven't been to Europe or um, o- only foreign countries I've been to the Bahamas, where I was pretty much at a resort the whole time, and then Mexico for like half a day. So I, I don't probably don't have anything that exotic compared to you know other stories that are out there. Um. Oh, th- so this is not. This is a lame answer, but it. It's, it was jarring to me, and it's fitting based on where I am now. But when I come up to Wisconsin, which is usually every summer, people up here put, like, sliced pickles in their beer, like any beer. You get a Bud Light, and they're like, can I get some pickles with this, please? And they kind of like how you would do a lime with a Dos Equis or something. Yeah. They just put and – and I was, like, aghast at this. And, and nobody – Nobody could understand why, because most people who come to this conference are from like Iowa, Minnesota. And I was like, he just asked for pickles in his beer. And they're like, yeah, like they didn't see anything wrong with it. And I thought it was like a joke at first, but they put pickles in just like regular light beer. And I think that's really weird. Did you try it? No, but I, I have I have had pickle flavored beer and I thought it was okay. So maybe they're, maybe they're not way off base on this. From uh, the best made there at Martin's Brewing? No, it was at a was at a wine festival in Rockport. Oh, okay. Have I not told you this story? I guess not. So very limited beer selection at the wine festival, which is how I wound up with pickle beer. And everybody else who got pickle beer didn't really care for it. So they see me with one of my hands. They're like, hey, is that beer? Like, do you like that? I was like, oh, it's pretty good. But the thing about pickle beer is like you don't need more than one. It's like too much pickle for that. But everybody didn't want this, so they just kept handing me pickle beer. So I had like three or four, and I was like, this is way too much pickle beer. So anyway, that's the one time I've had it. Well, now that you're up in the DFW area, you should go by Martin's Brewing and get you some best made. Okay. Uh, Start bench cut these usually clear liquors, both straight and cocktails, rum, vodka, tequila. Do you not have a weird food or drink story from travel? Oh, uh, no. Ate some uh, oysters in San Diego. Do you like oysters? Uh, yeah. Unless you get like a piece of shell or ice, and it's like a real jarring um, texture difference that throws you off a little bit. Yeah, that's the only time I've ever had them. I I don't. I love Lubbock. I don't really trust the seafood here, generally. Fair. Yeah. So. I don't eat a lot of seafood in Lubbock, and so when I go out to places, if I'm closer to the Gulf, I'll get some seafood. But I can't think of a, a str- like a strange food or drink Sorry, experience. I've I'm never. Still not sure about 
I've never been to uh I've never been out of the country either. Yeah. So I would probably say oysters. Yeah, I don't like oysters. Slimy? Yeah, just not my you know, I'm I'm particular about like texture and temperature and Yeah, we did them wrong. It wasn't for me, yeah. I know a lot of people do, but that was my first experience. A lot of you can do like the Rockefeller or whatever else. We should have a dozen raw ones. But it was beautiful. We were on the coast and uh, on the beach in San Diego. So, went in Rome, huh? Yep. Anyways, rum, vodka, tequila. Start bench cut. Start rum, bench vodka, cut tequila. I hate tequila. One tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor. What about you? You would start rum? Yeah. I was going to say that, but I don't like clear rum. So Spiced rum, like a Sailor Jerry or a Kraken. Yeah, so I'm not a big liquor guy at all, but some of the few mixed drinks that I have enjoyed are usually rum-based. My favorite is the Sunny Rumby. Shout out to Brian Don Carlos. But then, yeah, like a blackened spice rum, that's also good, I think. You read the uh, Dark and Stormy? I don't know. Is that is that the Kraken? It's like a Moscow Mule, but uh, with rum. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't like that. You don't like ginger beer? I, I had a Moscow Mule one time, and I didn't care for it. So I don't know if I would like a variation of it either. I love Moscow Mules. I'd probably start vodka, actually. I would cut tequila, too, though. What's the story that made you hate tequila, Kyle? So I was um, I was a good kid, and I didn't, like, drink in high school or anything. And I didn't even really drink in college until, you know, probably, like, my junior year. I mean, not, like, a little bit, but not, like, drinking like college students do. So one of the first, like, house parties I went to, they're playing beer pong. It's my first time playing... I've never had Bud Light before and they're playing with Bud Light in the cups. And I, every time I drank a little bit, I was like, God, this is disgusting. Like I just thought, okay, Bud Light's a cheap beer. Like it's nasty. Come to find out later on, somebody had poured tequila into the Bud Light. So not only was I drinking a disgusting mixture, I'm taking like shots of tequila when I think I'm taking sips of beer and like the smell, the taste of tequila just repulses me. Cannot do it except when I did it at Bell Station multiple times before the Texas Bowl. For the fans. Yeah. I have one liquor like that, and it is Southern Comfort. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell the story, though. <laughs> uh, is it RBI or RBIs? I like RBIs. I think RBI is a little bit forced and, like, the overly purest people – I, I don't know. Grammatically, I like RBIs. grammatically, it's RBI. But I catch myself saying RBIs more often than I say RBI. It, it sounds better. Yeah, but we don't do that with other acronyms. Like, like if you were putting multiple requests for proposal out, you'd say RFPs. Like, we don't shorten that for any other acronym that represents something like that, like a unit. And so... I, again, I think it's force. I think RBIs is fine. I agree. Unless you want to go further and say RSBI. That's what Mr. Cruz said. Yeah. I think that's kind of funny. So start start bench cut RBI, RBIs, and RSBI. Start RBIs, bench RSBI, cut RBI. <laughs> oh, let's see. Did we talk then you, well, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because then you'd also have to go like past tense, like how many runs batted in. And so it's like R's B to I. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, have we talked UConn is a full sport versus basketball only? No, we, we asked Tech Hoops guy about it a little bit, but you and I, I don't think really got into it much. I've given my opinion a couple of times on the Rob Bro show 
you can watch that right here on this YouTube channel, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 a.m. on Monday and Wednesday. Um, what's your thought on all sport versus basketball? I guess first and foremost, I don't think UConn is going anywhere. And so I would – I'm prefacing all this by saying let whatever's going to play out with the pack happen first before you determine what may or may not you want to do with UConn. Because um, I would hate to take UConn as a full member and then, like, later on you find out, okay, Arizona State is coming to the Big 12 and, like, oh, we don't have a spot for them or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I would keep my focus out west for now. And UConn will be there later if they – uh, if you decide you should add them, I'm a little bit weary of basketball only members, like just as a blanket rule. But I think if you're going to sell that package separately from football one day and your basketball product is as good as potentially having Kansas, Baylor, Arizona, Gonzaga, Yukon, Villanova, Georgetown all wrapped up into it. I don't want to go crazy, but if you had four basketball-only members um, and, like, you accounted for half of the country's basketball blue bloods, I think that would be potentially advantageous. And the way I've seen it framed that I kind of – that gets me more on board with it is if there is this separation among the Power Five where, like, the Power Two try to break off 10 years from now, whatever, and have their own champion, well, they can – probably pretty credibly crown a football champion that way, but you can't have a legitimate basketball championship that doesn't include some of those programs that I just listed among others that are also like Oklahoma state has a proud history. Texas tech in the last five or 10 years has done really well for themselves. Um, and so if that kind of just keeps you at the table via basketball that keeps you at the table for football. I, I think it's probably not the worst strategy in the world, but, like I said, I just don't want to go too far down the road with the UConn until you know what's going to happen with the four corners. I think if I think if you divorce, deviate, whatever you want to call it, the media packages from all sports to basketball plus and then football plus, UConn is good no matter how you get them in. Yeah, and, and think of it from – one from Brett Yormark's standpoint. This is a New York guy who spent time with Jay Z, Rock Nation, the Barclays Center where the Nets play. Um, he clearly sees some kind of value in planting a flag in that region of the world. We're playing exhibition games at Rucker Park. And so New York City is kind of funny because there's not like a a power five public university there. Like Rutgers is in New Jersey, Syracuse is upstate, but Yukon is probably right up there with those two in terms of like overall fan interest in New York city. And I, I think UConn would also make more sense down the road if, and when you're able to add ACC schools, it's like UConn would be a little bit out there by themselves right now. But if you had Syracuse Pitt, um, who else kind of up there, maybe like Boston college or Virginia tech, like just up in that general neck of the woods, yeah, maybe they're more of a fit, and you know you have some regional draw there with some of those matchups. But uh, that—that's kind of my thinking on it right now. Are right, you ready for some uh, rapid fire? Yes. What is the most overrated wing sauce flavor, and why is it lemon pepper? I—I I think lemon pepper is okay. I don't know if it's overrated. I think it's properly rated. I like lemon pepper. What's the most overrated to you? Um. I find myself, well, I find myself not really caring for barbecue sauce on wings. Of course, I love barbecue, but that's probably one of the more common wing flavors. But I, I don't know if I want barbecue sauce on my wings. Yeah, the honey barbecue is not a good wing sauce. Yeah. Now, yeah, if it's like a spicy barbecue or something, uh, you know, maybe a, like a variation on your standard barbecue sauce, that might move the needle a little bit better for me. Kyle, what's your favorite thing about living in Fort Worth? Oh, just being in West Texas, you know. Your kids, uh, uh, little league coaches. Do what? I said your kids, little league coaches. Yeah, yeah, the people. Um, no, so it's been a hectic. Uh, I've traveled a lot for work lately. I was driving back to Lubbock 
on weekends through like February. Um, so we, we've gotten out to explore a little bit. Um, and that there are some cool like uh, parks and just like nature available. And so we've enjoyed that as a family. What What's missing that I really loved about Lubbock, somebody asked me this, is like I don't know any of the local restaurants in Fort Worth yet. And so like if I'm hungry, I usually eat from a chicken. like I don't know what the go-to like barbecue or Tex-Mex is. And so it'll take some time to find like my new Alberon's, Caprock Cafe, all that good stuff, Rahino Barbecue. Um, so that's probably what I miss most about Lubbock, but I think I'll settle into that. Uh, but yeah, I'm liking Fort Worth. It's my biggest worry was that it was, it's a big city, but it hasn't phased me too much yet. You know, the traffic is manageable, so all good. Have you found a good lawyer yet? Uh, yeah, I, one of the first people I met in Fort Worth was, uh, Barnett of Barnett, Howard and Williams fame. And so, yeah, I, I of course I don't, I don't need them. Cause like I said, I'm a good, I'm a good kid, but should you need an attorney in Fort Worth, Barnett, Howard and Williams, they actually handle cases all across the state of Texas, but they're based here in Fort Worth. I think somebody, one of the picadors was uh, needing a divorce attorney because his wife wouldn't let him listen to the Rob Bro show in the car. So I don't know if they actually handle that, but uh, Barnett, Howard and Williams, BHW law from dot com. Uh, they handle catastrophic injury, uh, workplace, criminal defense, and one of the only law firms in the state of Texas certified for Title IX student litigation. They hope you never need them, but somebody really solid is in your corner if you do Barnett Howard and Williams Law Firm. Kyle, would you rather walk through the hurricane or swim the poncha train for a pretty little Cajun queen? What is this in reference to? It's a song. By who? What song? I have no idea. I just assumed it was a song. Well, yeah, I could piece that much together, but like I don't. I thought it was a. I thought you would get the inside joke from Root. No. Okay. Is Tadlock on the hot seat, or is the question asked, is Taddy Daddy on the hot seat? No. That is honestly just like the stupidest. You know, Rob, there's a. There's a fine. What did I say in Discord? Oh, I remember. Don't say it. Yeah. Um, you have to sign up to hear it. Yeah. So the, there's a fine line. There's this common phrase that has entered the collective vocabulary and it's don't tell me how to fan. That's like the cardinal sin. If you tell somebody how to fan, it's like, no, do whatever you want. Go cry on Twitter every time a baseball team loses if you want. But like, just cause you have an opinion as a fan doesn't mean it's not freaking stupid. Right. And a guy who's been to Omaha four times, like in the not so distant past like i know it feels like a long time ago because of the covid interrupt was like 2019 is not ancient history here um so yeah i i think that opinion is really stupid and i'm not going to tell you not to have it i'm not going to commit the cardinal sin of telling you how to fan but if you're a fan with that opinion it's a stupid one and you should reassess how's that i agree was that your final thought no, are we at the final thoughts segment? Yeah, I think so. Oh, it's a George Strait song. That's why I didn't know it. Okay. Yeah, you, you hate George Strait. Final thought is actually football related. The College Football Hall of Fame announced their uh, ballot for this year's inductees. Among it, among them, Graham Harrell, who I think should be a shoe-in based on what he accomplished in his collegiate career. That was tweeted, that was announced by the Texas Tech football account. There's another nominee who was not tweeted out by the Texas Tech football account. Do you know who that was? Mike Leach? No, not Mike Leach. Who was it? Good guess, though. Jim Carlin. Which Jim Carlin, for those who don't know, I could make the case, Rob, that he was a head coach for the most accomplished team, maybe the best team 
in Texas Tech football history. In 1973, he won 11 games, including a Gator Bowl win over Tennessee. He left for South Carolina uh, the year after that. But I think that Texas Tech should have, just like they honored their former quarterback, Graham Harrell, I think they should have honored uh, one of the more accomplished coaches in our program's football history and chosen to recognize Jim Carlin, which I guess they – and maybe he's going on the ballot like as West Virginia's coach or as South Carolina's coach because that's where he was besides Texas Tech. But I felt like that was a little bit of a snub. And I know a lot of Tech fans don't realize that there was any football history at this school before you started wearing Under Armour uniforms. But there is. You did go 11-1 and with a win over Tennessee in the bowl game. What? Yes, that happened. Um, so anyway, congratulations to Graham Harrell and Jim Carlin. And that's my final thought. It's a good final thought. My final thought is the mosquitoes are going to be absolute hell this summer in Lubbock. That's facts. Yeah. I've already gotten some pretty crazy ones. Oh, you can't even see it. It's huge on my arm. <laughs> All right, that's all I got, man. Me too. What was so funny in the – something happened in the Discord? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you after the episode. Okay. All right. Love y'all.